Hello and welcome to Jamin Digital, which offers insights, analysis and commentary on all things digital in Brussels and beyond. My name is Evelina Kurgonaite. I am a seasoned Brussels Bubble Insider, a former journalist and a digital policy enthusiast. I am extremely happy to be talking to Isabel de Silva, who until recently was the president of a French competition authority. She joined the authority in 2014, following a stellar career in the French public sector, including as the president of the sixth subsection of the administrative jurisdiction division of the Council of State, the institution where she spent a significant part of her career and where she currently serves as the councillor. Isabel de Silva also worked at the French Constitutional Court and as government commissioner at the Court of Conflicts. And these are just some highlights, really. I am particularly pleased to welcome her at Jamin Digital because she has pioneered competition enforcement in the digital sector at the national level. And I'm very excited to talk about that in a moment. But first of all, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Evelyn. I'm very pleased to have this occasion to discuss with you. So, in the last couple of years of your work as the president of the French Competition Authority, you were being described by media as taking on big tech. From your point of view, is it fair to say that antitrust enforcement against major digital players is a noteworthy or perhaps even one of the defining elements of your legacy as the president of the authority. After all, not that many national competition authorities had ventured into tech markets quite so forcefully as the French Competition Authority did under your lead. And just for the benefit of listeners, examples include over 1 billion euro fine against Apple, another 150 million fine against Google. And again, these are just highlights. So is it your legacy? Well, I would like to think so. I think that from the onset of my mandate, I really define digital as a priority. And I would like to say that I did not see it as a policy that was contrary to big tech or taking big tech uh, as a sort of uh, usual suspect. It was more really to try embrace the complexities of the digital economy and be able to address competition issues when they were identified by the investigations. And I think that the cases you mentioned are really uh, important cases that will uh, define competition enforcement in the future. But I think more globally, the way we address digital issues from the point of view of the competition agency was very much developing the expertise of the agency. And in that respect, it's also important to consider, for example, the sector studies that we did in digital advertising, also the more in-depth studies of algorithm that we did with the Bundeskartelamt or or study on uh, online uh, shopping. Uh, So I would say that globally, to be able to tackle competition cases, you, you really need to have built the expertise beforehand. And that takes time. And also there is a a human resources dimension. For example, we created the digital economy unit and we were among the the first agencies to recruit data science specialists. So 
globally, I think that the digital economy is really at the top of the agenda for any competition agency. And we really try to build a comprehensive approach to, in the end, be able to conclude the cases you mentioned. From all this taking on big tech work that your authority pursued under your leadership, would you be able to single out one or perhaps a couple that you consider to be most noteworthy and as such perhaps the most appropriate to be one of the definers of your legacy as the president of the authority? Uh, yes, I think that I would start by the Google News Corp case because I consider it as the, the first competition case dealing with the intricacies of algorithmic online advertising and one of the defining cases for form of self-preferencing that Google had engaged in the online advertising uh, economy. One of the defining uh, traits of this case is that it was a very complex sector because we were dealing with uh, supply-side platforms or ad servers, which have some very complex ways of functioning. So we really needed to get into the different algorithms that, that were applied in this industry. And also it was a, an interesting case because Google decided to settle this case, which was, I think, a first in terms of an antitrust case against them. And finally, I think it was a novel case in, in that Google also decided to propose remedies and that we were able to uh, incorporate those remedies in the final decision, which is, of course, the ideal uh, scenario for the market because you identify an infringement and then you are also able to define the ways in which the infringement will be remedied in the future. A second case would be the Apple case that you mentioned, because I think it's an interesting case in that it deals with the digital economy, but not from the specificities of the digital process, more uh, in terms of the way uh, those electronic products are sold in actual shops, brick and mortar shops. And also, I think it was the first case that really went into the detail of how Apple was selling its products through the, the different members of the distribution chain that they were using and identified the ways in which uh, competition was restricted. And in the end, the consumer was not able to benefit from the actual competition uh, on the prices. Maybe the, the third case I would consider as really a poster case of the enforcement we, we had at the French Competition Agency was the Google uh, Gib Media case. Uh, it's a different Google case. And this one deals with the uh, ad search market and the way the platform uh, ad search or Google ads was defining rules that were applicable to, to its uh, business users. And I think that this is really something that will remain extremely relevant in the future, even after the Digital Markets Act is implemented, because the ways big platforms, gatekeepers or dominant players define rules really have a huge impact on um, business or end users. And this case really goes into the details of how the rules were defined and were applied to the business users. And this was, in a way, a quite a novel case because we used Article 102 of the treaty as the legal basis for, for the infringement decision. And it also highlights the way in which exploitative abuse come back as really uh, an important dimension of uh, enforcement for competition agencies. 
And uh, also because this case from uh, 2019 recently was confirmed by the Court of Appeal in Paris in an important judgment, because I think that this will remain a reference that could be later applied to other type of platforms. He also mentioned that the second case against Google was really built on the exploitative abuse theory of harm. And for the listeners of this podcast that might be a bit less familiar with competition enforcement, exploitative dominance abuse theory of harm is not something that competition authorities pursue very often because it's not a very easy theory of harm to pursue. So I think that really differentiates the French competition authority somewhat in this respect. But also, I just have one follow-up question, if I may. You were not the only competition authority that looked at Google's practices in relation to ads in their in their platform. I was just wondering if you could maybe quickly just highlight how your case was different from what others may have done in this space. It's interesting to note that for a long time, it was perceived that competition agencies were pursuing more frequently exclusionary abuses, the ones in which a dominant firm will directly influence the structure of the market or take measures that are directly uh, restrictive to competition or their competitors, uh, such as uh, you can see uh, in the Hoffman-Laroche case of uh, 1979 or the Axel against Commission case of 1991. And the exploitative abuse, which are also based on Article 102, are those in which uh, the dominant firm takes advantage of its uh, dominance to obtain advantages in terms of transaction that uh, this company would not have obtained without its dominance. And so we really see, at least at the French Competition Agency, a return to the roots and the fact that maybe there was an under-enforcement of uh, this aspect of Article 102, exploitative abuse, And they they seem particularly relevant to how the digital economy functions. And in the French case, I think it's the only one that really focused on the the way uh, Google was defining and applying the rules. And we decided to link that to the, the notion of inequitable transaction conditions. And this was really something that was that could be seen as a novel in a way. There was some legal precedent, but not many uh, competition cases. And this was one of the really most important parts that the Court of Appeal confirmed in its decision from the points uh, 123 for those who would like to, to see the French court decision. So what uh, could be the difference with other uh, cases concerning Google? Of course, the, the Google shopping case is more a self-referencing case in a way to be described uh, this way. So the ways in which Google was favoring Google shopping vis-a-vis uh, other, other type of comparison services. And uh, the Google AdSense case from the Commission could be uh, in a way uh, related with the, with the French case. And uh, the Google Android case is really something, uh, once again, a bit different uh, in terms of uh, protecting uh, and favoring its own position on the market. So uh, maybe in the future, we, we could see more uh, exploitative use cases. to the DMA, you may have been one of the most vocal proponents of EU regulation specifically for digital players. And in more concrete terms, the the draft EU Digital Markets Act or the DMA, 
that has just been through the so-called trilogue of co-legislators in Brussels and their so-called nearly final DMAs circulating in the Brussels bubble. Are you happy with it? Is it good enough from your perspective? For example, you were amongst advocates for national competition authorities to play a more prominent role in addition to the European Commission in enforcing the DMA in the digital space. Do you think that DMA goes far enough in this respect? I really feel first and foremost that the DMA is really a very impressive piece of legislation and it's a quite incredible success to have achieved such a regulation in such a short time because we are all aware that those issues are extremely complex and that the debate about the DMA had to incorporate dialogue with consumer, of course, the uh, the business community, uh, national and the European Parliament. When you look at the text, and I was reading what is not the official text, but the draft that has circulated, the scope of the issues is incredibly wide. And I think the way in which the provisions are really very good and very far-reaching. So it is a new set of rules that uh, will be applied for the first time in Europe and I really feel that this will become a legal model for other important economies in the world. For example, for the American legislator, we know that there are several bills being discussed in Congress right now, but also other regions of the world that have a stronger interest in the digital economy. You can think about Australia or South Korea that have pushed through some legislation in that respect. And also the interesting aspect of this regulation is to choose and really define rules that are applicable only to a limited set of of stakeholders uh, or undertaking. And this is something a bit new. We had seen that in some uh, sectoral regulations, such as telecommunication, but this was not common. And it is a very big difference, for example, with the approach that was followed for the GDPR. So it's interesting to note that is a focused legislation only applicable to certain gatekeepers. And uh, the second issue is that of the regulation process of this new uh, regulation. How will it work and who will be the enforcers? And as you say, within uh, the European Competition Network, I strongly advocated to incorporate national competition agencies in the enforcement infrastructure of the DMA. And I'm I'm really pleased that this was heard because at the beginning of the initial proposal of the Commission, uh, there was no role for the National Competition Authority. And I really felt that it was not a good idea to define such an important regulation and to only allow the, the European Commission to apply it and investigate infringement. Because we have built since 2003 a very strong competition network that is uh, served as a model uh, in the rest of the world and is really has functioned really well. So uh, it would have been a pity to uh, not uh, take advantage of the benefits of uh, positive uh, network effects. I think one of the issues in the future will be how to, to pick the best uh, legal instrument to pursue or investigate conduct by uh, gatekeepers or, or dominant players, and also how to fine-tune the, the legal issues that may arise in terms of effective enforcement, so between the national and the European level. And maybe a, a last point that should be underlined in the DMA because it's not 
the most uh, often uh, discussed aspect is that there is this very important link with a merger enforcement because for the first time, the DMA defines a new obligation for gatekeepers to inform the European Commission of a very wide set of um, acquisitions that they might consider in the digital economy. And so this will come in addition to the traditional uh, notification obligations that exist under Regulation 2004 and the national merger regime. But this is also important because during my mandate at the FCA, I really advocated for a stronger focus on enforcement for below the threshold acquisition and especially those that were that emanated from uh, the digital strategic players. So I think that this really complemented something that was missing in the current legal architecture. Are there any other aspects of the DMA you would single out as missed opportunities? What would you have done differently? Uh, there was a debate about the fact that the DMA should go more uh, in detail on the on the way online advertising is working, and of course, uh, an issue that is really important for for this uh, particular sector. So, in the end, the DMA has a very important provision about data gathering, and I think that there will be also the additional uh, Digital Services Act, which will. Uh, complement the aspects that are not dealt with by the DMAs. What are the key challenges do you expect enforcing the DMA in practice? How do you think they could be addressed? Maybe one of the challenges will be the capacities to, to enforce such a huge uh, piece of legislation as the DMA. And uh, I'm pretty certain that it will be a very complex task for the gatekeepers themselves. When you look at the compliance obligations and the reports that they will need to fill, and also, of course, the ways in which they will apply the, the very uh, the, the number of provisions that you find in the DMA, and how will the Commission and the national competition agencies find the resources to apply a new important piece of legislation uh, is, of course, a very important question that will need to be addressed by uh, the European Commission in terms of uh, setup but also by the member states uh, if uh, it is felt that uh, additional resources are needed. Yes, resources will definitely be a challenge. I think the European Commission is admitting that much. I understand you are writing a book about the DMA. Can you tell the listeners of this podcast about this venture of yours? Yes, well, it's a project that uh, I feel very passionate about, but it, um, it would be the first time uh, I would uh, write a book by myself. So, of course, I already written a lot of articles or, or decisions, but I, I felt that it was interesting to analyze the, this new regulation from the point of view of someone with a legal background and uh, practice as a judge, but also with the point of view of a former competition enforcer, because I think that it's important to have the, those different approaches to, to be able to, to predict in which way the DMA will be applied and what will be maybe the, the difficult legal issues that will be faced in terms of enforcement. This is very exciting. When can we expect to read your book? Maybe by the end of the year, but uh, I will do my best. <laughs> Maybe as part of this book on the DMA, but maybe just more generally, what aspect of competition enforcement in the digital space intrigues you personally the most? 
I think that one of the, the cases that we'll be following very closely is the Apple uh, case. There is one by the European Commission, there is another uh, by the Dutch Competition Authority. And it's interesting because this those issues about how apps are being able to sell in a, a given ecosystem such as such as the Apple iPhone. This is really something that you find all over the digital economy and raises very important issue in terms of the ways uh, those companies are able to provide the same offers outside of the ecosystem. So I think that this will be a case to be followed and would be, I think, very interesting in terms of global convergence. If the American Congress adopts bills that have this type of European point of view, because for a long time, the United States was seen as a a country where there was minimal uh, intervention in the digital sphere and focus on, well, if companies are big, it's because they're successful and innovative. So we really see a, a shift in terms of approach and it will be interesting to see uh, in more uh, concrete way if we see some new uh, cases by DOJ and FTC. There are already some cases underway that are have some complexities, so it will be interesting to see in the next few months how they go along. Is there anything you would like to wish your colleague competition enforcers, be they in Europe or in the United States that you just mentioned, when tackling competition concerns in these novel digital markets? I really wish them uh, to continue with a lot of courage and energy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Evelina. 